you never know if an article that you read about, a conference that you know about, a person that you might want to introduce to them can change their life. And so with that spirit of generosity, you can get a whole lot out of networking. You're listening to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast, the only leadership podcast run by undergraduate students dedicated to helping undergraduate students lead in diverse fields. From people in diplomacy to entertainment, from CEOs to student leaders, we feature people from all walks of life. It's all part of the mission. Here at the Piscina Leadership Institute, we make leaders better. Wellness to EdTech. Her interests include uplifting women in business by mentoring with women in America. Pat, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. So I wanted to start with your your undergraduate in computer science, and I'd like to know how that's helped you in your career in business because it doesn't really seem like you've done a lot in computers unless you're unless you'd like to correct me on that. No, you're absolutely right. I majored in computer science. My goal was to get a job. My parents were immigrants. My mom ran a business when I was growing up. She actually did data entry. So that was my first kind of introduction to what computers could do. And I thought if I studied it, I would for sure get a job. And I think I was, you know, probably right on that front. But I never did end up programming. And yet I absolutely do not regret having studied computer science because what it taught me is something that I've used throughout my career and I found very valuable. And honestly, I would do it again. In studying computer science, I learned how to problem solve and to put things into a framework, a framework that I could understand and slowly but surely come to some conclusion in doing. And and I think that understanding how to solve problems is a really important skill that you can use in any profession that you have. My computer science background was helpful in getting my first job after business school because I ended up working for an investment firm and the firm was looking to invest in companies in the software and services area. So having that background, the vocabulary, a little bit of that understanding was very useful to me when I first started out. And lo and behold, the world has changed and computers and technology and software are everywhere. So it's it was certainly something that I kind of felt in advance would be important. And in fact, it was. You mentioned that your parents are immigrants. My parents are also immigrants. And I can kind of relate to what it's like just being in, going into college when your parents probably didn't go through the American college process yourself or themselves. What advice do you have for these first generation Americans, especially because like it is college season, like college selection season? What advice do you have for people going into college as a first generation American? Well, I think that there's a lot of advice I could give. First of all, I think, and then it very much relates to networking and talking to people. I think it's really important to get an idea of what the possibilities are. To be honest, I would have never thought of applying to the schools that I applied to if it weren't for a conversation that I had with a friend of my father's who happened to be our family dentist. And he was talking about his experiences and what he had done. And that kind of opened up a world to me, I would have never otherwise have known. So my most important advice to people who are children of immigrants or immigrants themselves is there's so much that you don't know. Even better, there's so much you don't know that you don't know. And the only way you're going to figure that out 
is to do research yourself, which is much easier today than it ever was when, when I was young, because you can go online and learn everything. And that was not available, you know, when I was in my, my teenage and college years. Or talk to people, ask ask teachers, ask parents of your friends, kind of open your eyes into what the possibilities are. And then when you do select a college, make sure you take full advantage of it. Because I actually really felt like it was a special gift to be able to get a college education, especially because my parents didn't have a strong network, were not as well connected, kind of didn't know the ways uh, of the United States. So I really wanted to take as full advantage of it as I possibly could. You mentioned networking, which is a great segue into one of the questions that I had. What separates networking from like, quote unquote, making friends? Because I know that can be a very abstract concept. I think that's a really good question. And, And I think in our culture, there is a distinction between making friends, which is something that is social, versus networking, which adds kind of a a business or professional aspect to it. I think building relationships is a better word, and that would encompass both sides of it, because sometimes it is through social relationships that you have business opportunities. And sometimes it is through what seem like business relationships that you develop incredibly good friendships over time. And I will tell you, and and it's something I never thought of when I was kind of at the stage that you are, that some of the people that you meet in a business context today, you will somehow meet them again at a later stage in your life. And I will tell you, there was an individual, and I can think of many other situations, but one particular individual that I met in a business context, he ran a company and I interacted with him often because we were investors in his company. We lost touch for several years. I recontacted him and he has become a wonderful personal friend, a family friend of my husband and me. We go bike riding with him and he is now in his early 80s. And so, you know, would I have ever guessed as a young person that somebody that I had a business relationship with would become a very good friend? I would not have thought that. And yet that can happen. And so while the answer to your question is that the idea of networking is a little bit more professionally focused, I think the better way to think about networking is building relationships, whether they are personal and friendship type of relationships or one that have a professional context to them that if you really do work at can also turn into friendships over time. I understand if this is going to be like not a very, there's not going to be a very clean answer to this because human relationships are so complex, but people talk about work-life balance and does that apply to apply at all when separating just like networking and like your your friends that you don't really have a business connection with they're just like personal connections do, like is there like do wires like ever get crossed or is it just like better to keep your business friends separate from your personal friends like what are your thoughts on that I think I think it is a very complex question and I do think it depends I think there are certain relationships that you have at work that are more professional but I would suggest to people to try to learn about others. And while it is important to have a professional relationship, I also think you develop deeper connection if you understand more about a person, a little bit more about where they're coming from, what's important to them, 
a little bit more about them as people. And, and I think if you go that extra step to understanding that, you can forge deeper relationships and you can be more helpful to other people. I think that may be as true in a work context as it is outside of work. So if you know that somebody at work perhaps shared with you that, you know, they have aspirations to go on to graduate school, perhaps you can be helpful to them in, in, in that perspective. And there may be other things that are, you know, more common to share in a work, in, in a work situation. Sometimes getting too personal too quickly with someone in a work situation is not as wise because you do have to be professional in what you do. But I do think that over time to develop deeper relationships and better connections, having some shared interest or some topic that kind of brings you closer can be very useful and helpful and incredibly valuable. You talked about these like forming connections with people. How do you get started on that? Because I feel like the first... The, the second hardest word to say after hello is the very next word to start the conversation. I, I totally agree with you. And I think there are two things that you can do to make that a little bit easier. One is I'm very much a believer in doing a little bit of research about somebody before you meet, especially somebody brand new. And there are some very quick, easy things you can do today that of course you couldn't do many years ago. And the first is just go online. I would absolutely urge your listeners to set up LinkedIn accounts, regardless of what profession they might pursue, because not only does it give you a chance to build your brand in some way at an early stage in your career, but very importantly, it allows you to do a little bit of research on people that you might meet as you're going through a job search or even after you've started your job. And if you've done a little bit of research, you have a better feel for where that person may have gone to school, what that person did in their job experiences, what articles or things of interest they might have posted, those all provide uh, the basis for an initial conversation. So that's step one, do some research. And I do outline this in my book, Meet 100 People. Step two is kind of think of some interesting questions that you might ask and kind of have them in your head ahead of time, because that makes it a little bit easier once you get in, into a conversation, whether it's into a virtual room, which I think is perfectly fine, or whether you're meeting somebody in person. And the questions can be broad. I, I, I usually like to think of questions that are not answered by yes or no. They should be answered by a little bit more of a conversation. And one of my favorite ice-breaking questions that you could ask anyone, whether in a first meeting or even if you're at a conference sitting next to someone, because that's always kind of a funny time to be able to kind of break the ice, ask them the simple question of, tell me about yourself. Very easy, very simple, unbelievably open-ended, and it's always interesting to see where people take that. Do they tell you about where they're from, or if you're at a conference, why they're there, or what do they reveal? It's kind of an interesting way to get the ball rolling. And then you find, you know, continue conversation based on some of the things that the person may have shared with you. Yeah, the idea that tell me about yourself is your go-to question is incredibly fascinating because in a job interview, I feel like a lot of people dread that because they don't know what to say. How, how do you answer that question? I think it depends on the context. So in a job interview, I would answer that question by saying, 
why am I the best person for this job? Or why am I interested in this company? Or why am I super excited in talking to you? So I would give a little bit more about the why of myself and the why of the reason that we're meeting here. If I'm at a conference, I would probably say a little bit about my background or what is relevant about my background to the fact that I'm here and I'm interested in this event or this conference. So a lot of it is context. If somebody, a younger person comes and seeks out my advice and they say, well, tell me about yourself, I will take that to mean they're interested in a little bit about my career potentially. And maybe I will kind of put them back on the spot. What would you like to know? What is of most interest to you? And that is if somebody approaches me with that question. So I can put a little bit of context around that. So you talk about how you talk, you basically ask people these questions a lot, or like you try to start these conversations with people. And I'm sure at least once or twice, it's gotten awkward. How do you get around that? Um, The way you get around it, honestly, is with a little bit of patience and not to be afraid of perhaps a bit of silence or an awkward moment. So that's okay. There can be a lull. The way you get around awkwardness is, is to try to make sure that you kind of segue from that lull into something else. And I think it goes back to this point of being prepared. So if you have a list of questions in your mind or even physically in front of you, and that's okay too. I've had a young person come to me with a very full list of questions and I I was actually very impressed and really proud of her that she took the time and the effort to think about things to ask me. I think you need to be ready to continue the conversation and help push it along. Sometimes there's silence because the person's thinking and they're thinking of what else they might want to say. So that's why I say be patient on that. You know, don't, you know, don't immediately jump to another question. Kind of be okay with that. Let that go. See if they say something else and then say, this is another question I'd like to learn about or something else that I might want to ask about. We've been talking a lot about how to like do a conversation and it seems like you kind of mastered the art of it, but what is one like struggle that you had while learning? It feels like a strange question because it feels like you should just know how to do it, but also like it's so complex that sometimes you do like stumble over things. What, what is that like one or two things that you think that you stumbled over and how did you get over that? Sure. I think one of the things that I didn't fully appreciate that could help conversations, and this is very true for when meeting somebody in person in their office, for example, but it could also be true meeting somebody virtually, is that it's okay to kind of notice things and to ask about them. For example, if you go into somebody's office and you happen to see books or a book that you're familiar with or a photo of something that strikes you, it's actually okay to say, wow, that's a beautiful mountain scenery. Where is that? And I think it's clever to do that because that starts to draw a connection. And I say this in my book too. Remember, if you go into somebody's office, every single thing in that office has been put there by them and they like it. And it's almost like a clue into their behavior. And so for that reason, I think it's okay to say, you know what, that is my favorite book on your coffee table. You know, when did you read it? Or what made you think of it? Kind of asking something about somebody that is innocuous. So, you know, there's nothing that could lead you astray in terms of the question. It actually can bring you together because it's trying to draw upon a shared interest. 
it feels like so simple just like the idea of oh everything in the office was put in there and that is like just like a database of things to get from and like I know that it's like easy for I am very like extroverted and I assume that you are too but what tips do you have for people that think themselves to be like less 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 extroverted or even more socially awkward what like what advice do you have for them to start like conversations and to talk to people I think that's a great question and and I think I I have incredibly evolved over time to seem that I am extroverted. But I will confess to you that I am reserved as a person and I am much more introverted than it might seem. But what I have discovered about myself over time is that I'm also deeply curious and I love to learn. So those two factors help me overcome my natural shyness and actually really embrace the opportunity of meeting somebody because I know I'm going to learn something through the process. So that desire to learn has helped me overcome kind of a natural self-imposed obstacle, I will say. I will also say it's super important that if you make a commitment to doing this, and there are so many huge benefits on the other side of that commitment, that the more you do it, the better you get at it. And I talk about this too. It's a little bit like exercise. If you want to get in good shape and you go run nine miles today, you're not going to get in good shape. But if you want to get in good shape and you spend 20 minutes a day, three times a week for the next three months, I promise you, your fitness will improve. And networking and meeting people is just the same. So if you make a commitment to yourself that, yes, I'm going to put myself out there and the first few times I know I'm going to be a little bit uncomfortable, just like my muscles will be sore if I start to weight lift today, but that's okay because on the other side of that, I'm going to start to build my confidence. I'm going to start to feel comfortable meeting new people and getting the huge benefits that come with having those conversations and building those relationships. So those who are introverted and might feel that this is a little bit outside their comfort zone, to that I will say, it's okay. It's okay to feel that way. It's okay to start this process and learn. I would recommend that in the process of meeting new people, Try to have the first few, call it the first five to 10 new people that you meet, be people who are warm and welcoming and who are going to help you. They're already warm referrals. They're going to want to have a really good conversation with you. Because if you are in an environment that is embracing and that is helpful to you, it's going to be easier. And so it's kind of like, you know, not taking the 10 pound weights when you're doing some weightlifting, but use the two or three pound weights for some arm work before you start to make it a little bit more challenging, which is having cold calls or even formal job interviews, right? Do a couple of mock interviews before the real job interview. Do it with your roommate or your professor or with somebody who's a trusted contact it really helps you get in shape for the time when it's really important to have a very good conversation. You mentioned that you were kind of like a reserved person. And that got me thinking about, we've been talking a lot about how to ask people questions and to start 
putting that connection towards people but obviously a conversation is two people to you you can ask questions but at some point you have to start answering questions as well and I know that some of our listeners might feel like they're not very interesting or that they might say something stupid how do you bypass that sort of insecurity Sure, I think that's a really great question. And it kind of points to something that I I will touch upon first, and then I'll, I'll answer that question. I think there are three things that hold people back from being proactive about networking. The first thing is that when they reach out, they're afraid they're not going to hear anything. They're afraid of crickets. And to that, I say, you know what? Try again. Maybe it got lost in their email stack. Don't worry about that try again. And if it doesn't work after two or three efforts, move on to somebody else. The second thing people are afraid of is the very simple, very little two-letter word, no. And I will say it is rare that somebody says no. And if somebody does say, no, I can't meet with you, it usually has something to do with them and not to do with you. They may be in the middle of a job change. They may have had something personal happen to them. They may be so overwhelmed by whatever's going on in their life that they can't do it now, but that doesn't mean they might not be able to do it later, or they might not suggest somebody else that you might be able to talk to. And the third most scary thing in the world is if somebody says yes, because guess what? Then you have to show up. And then you have to have the conversation. And sometimes that conversation might be a little bit challenging, especially if it's the first few. And I also think there is a little bit of fear, which you kind of touched upon in your question, that a younger person reaching out to somebody more experienced might not have something to offer, that they might not say the right thing or sound interesting enough or whatever it is. And so there's a little bit of shyness because they don't have something to give and and they're hoping to get something out of the conversation. And to that, I would say, everybody has some treasure in them, every single person. And the reason that more experienced people love spending time with younger people is because younger people are a window into the future. And that your perspective on life on what's going on, on work, is different than somebody who is farther down the path of life. And it's actually very interesting to them. So despite the fact that you think you might not have something to offer, everybody really does. And I do think it's a little bit incumbent upon all of us to be up to date on what's going on in the world. Read the newspaper, read a really great book, You could talk about what you're learning at school. You could talk about what trends there are that are going on. There's a lot that you can offer. You just have to kind of think about what is it that you like to do and how can you share something that you're passionate about with the person that you're talking to? Because that's part of the goal is to have that kind of sharing. Yeah, I think that was a really insightful answer. I just like the book that you wrote, it's called Meet a Hundred People. And Obviously, there's some people that say quality over quantity. How do you keep a high quality relationship with so many people? I think the title may be off-putting to some, and I didn't necessarily mean it literally as much as I did mean it metaphorically, which means that it should be a commitment to meeting more people over time. Now, 
If I had said meet 10 people, well, that sounds pretty darn easy, right? So you have to have a little bit of a larger goal, especially if you're thinking about life and about your network. I think more important than the number is the commitment to meeting new people proactively and consistently. So if you decide, you know what, 100 is too big for me. How about if I just meet one new person a week? Well, guess what? You get to 50 people in a year, and that's okay too. The goal is quality, as you say. I absolutely believe in quality. But again, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And some people in your process of meeting new people will be very helpful to you. But you don't know which ones. And so it's important to treat each of your meetings as those may be people who you will see farther down the road and they will be helpful to you over time. Now, your specific question is how do you manage a database of people that you've met is a very good one. And to that, I would say it is good to keep track of who you meet, link into them because that's one way to do it. Keep a spreadsheet of them and think about kind of what is the next stage after you've met somebody. And the important next stage is what happens next? Always send a follow-up note. That takes two seconds if you just focus on it. Say, thank you. I love the conversation about X. And may I reach out to you again? May I let you know what's going on in my life? Whatever. And then in your database, in your Excel spreadsheet or however you're keeping track, say, this is a person I want to reach out to next month. Or this may be a person I'm only going to reach out to in six months. After I have my job, I'm going to let them know where I landed. Really smart thing to do. Because you know what? You've kind of shared part of your story. The person you shared it with, I'll bet is curious to see what happens next. It's almost like you've read a chapter of a book and you want to know what the next chapter sounds like. Provide that to them. Stay top of mind because you never know. The people that you meet today, just as part of networking and learning, or as part of a job search, maybe somebody who thinks of you two or three years down the road and hires you then, right? Hires you for your subsequent job or your subsequent opportunity or share something with you that is valuable or similarly and even better, you share something with them that could really help them. And I'll give you this real quick story. The way I did my TEDx talk, I love sharing this because I'm truly grateful to Victoria. Victoria came up to me after an event and asked me to go have coffee so I could give her advice, which I did. We had a great conversation. We happened to connect on our mutual love for Asian food. She invited me to go to Flushing Queens to try authentic Asian food there, which we did a month later and had a lovely time. Four months after that, she sent me an email and said, I saw a call for speaker for TEDx. I'd like to nominate you. I would have never known about this opportunity if it hadn't been for Victoria. And I'd always had doing a TED talk on my secret bucket list that I had never shared with anyone. So I did say, yes, please nominate me. I was accepted. I never prepared for anything more in my life. And I did a TEDx talk and it would not have happened if it weren't for Victoria. And you never know when you're gonna be able to help someone in the same way. You never know if an article that you read about, a conference that you know about, a person that you might want to introduce to them can change their life. And so with that spirit of generosity, you can get a whole lot out of networking. Wow, that, that kind of blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. 
we don't have too much time left, but I do want to like, you touched upon a point where a fellow woman helped you in your career goals. And I did want to ask about some of your experiences in that. And we talk a lot about women uplifting other women, but I feel like a lot of the times, like men, like they're there and we just have to, I guess like quote unquote, fight against them or fight against the patriarchy. So what can, what do you think men can do to make like a more inclusive space for women in the workforce? Well, I will tell you the times are a changing and there have been big changes already. And I think it will continue to get better. I do think that there are more women in the workforce. I do think that there's more attention to having a diverse and inclusive workforce. I think younger men understand that in a very different way than their fathers may have understood it or than even their moms may have understood it. So I do think that there is a cultural change going on that's really wonderful and beneficial. There is thought to that. And I do think that it's, it's not just the right thing to do. I think it's also incredibly valuable to do that. Having a diverse perspective on a board of directors, having a diverse perspective in a management committee or among in a, in a business setting, or frankly, in any setting is unbelievably helpful and moves everybody forward together. So I do think that there's the right focus and we continue to have to focus on diversity and inclusion. And I think from my perspective, look, I, I feel incredibly fortunate to have gotten to where I am, you know, by my own efforts, but the support of many others around me, mentors who are both men and women. I really love in investing in growing companies. I don't only focus on women. I I invest in both men and women, but I'm incredibly proud that I have a pretty gender balanced portfolio. And I do love looking at opportunities that are female led. But I also think there's another way that we can all be supportive. And that is in the choices that we make on how we spend our money. And I think that that's something that I've given a lot of thought to. So when you make a decision about which company's products or services you support, to actually focus on whether that company espouses gender and broader inclusivity, I think is really important. I I think that, you know, when you hire somebody, give some thought to that, make sure that there's balance. Absolutely look for the most qualified person, but make sure that you're getting the pipeline that allows you to see a broader spectrum of people so that you can actually choose the most qualified person to work. I think we're coming up on the end of time, but I do have a few like final questions. And the question that I have is, what is one thing you wish you knew before starting your career? I think the one thing I wish I knew is how important the value of relationships and networking is. And honestly, that's one of the reasons I wrote Meet 100 People. I wish I had known earlier in my career that I had to be proactive and consistent about expanding my network and building relationships over time. I really only discovered that much later in my career. And the big eye opener for me was seeing my well-networked colleagues really accelerate in their careers and observing them and understanding kind of the extra value that they brought to the table because of 
all the people that they knew and the quick access to resources that they were able to get because of their network. No one can do this for you except you. This, is, this rests exclusively on your own shoulders. And I really don't think anything holds somebody back from building a network brick by brick, slowly but surely, but their own self-imposed obstacles. And I say, release yourself from those obstacles, start the process sooner as opposed to later, because there are huge benefits along the way, both from a professional perspective, but also very importantly from a personal perspective. I think networking is life affirming and it should be joyful. Thank you so much for your insight again. And to our listeners, we'll hear from you next week. Later, because there are huge benefits along the way, both from a professional perspective, but also very importantly from a personal perspective. I think networking is life affirming and it should be joyful. Thank you so much for your insight again. And to our listeners, we'll hear from you next week. On behalf of everyone at the Vasita Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank the podcast team, 89.5 FM WSOU for allowing us to use their facilities and you for listening. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership on Instagram at Vasita Leaders and on Twitter at SHU Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better.